DJ Tens of thousands on my right, thousands by my side War between good and evil, watching our fists collide Battle for our freedom now, to the streets we ride Flags waving all around, pages full of pride This is where we make a stand, no more give or take They want to use violence on Americans We want freedom We want peace We want freedom We want peace We want freedom We want peace Enough with tyranny We come to take our country back For all citizens White, red, brown, or black Return it to a form of glory Fix the bloody crack On the crown Fetch it down It's going down She warned me that this day would come I'm like my father, go to combat with the blazing guns I survived that, then I came back, took the place I'm from To face off all these haters and the battle in the place I love You can't break me down, I'm indivisible You still see my raps if I was invisible That pepper spray tastes like chicken What is it, America, that people can't wrap their heads around the idea that there was no plan, no pre-planning by patriots to do anything of malfeasance at the Capitol. Nothing. The FBI even did an investigation, and they came out and said there's no evidence of any plan ahead of time. Now, that doesn't mean that there was not planning ahead of time by those that wished to destroy our government on the other side. They set us up. They planned this months in advance. <clears throat> That's how come whenever the orange man offered up the National Guard, it was declined. That's why they set up the pandemic ideas of restrictions and shutting down certain areas and making it so that we, the people, had to be divided. Even though it has come out that there's no planning Patriots are still being charged, arrested, and even convicted of having a plan. Trial showed that they were being arrested for thought crimes. The prosecutors had the nerve to stand in front of the court and say even though there wasn't really a plan, they thought of a plan as soon as they walked in. So that shows planning. And somehow, they were able to get that into the minds of the jury who then convicted them. Actually convicted of a thought crime. It is completely unbelievable. I thought things like this could never happen in our country, and it shows how naive I was. You know, Americans, no criminal record, have been convicted of assaulting police officers with a deadly weapon, even though it was agreed upon in court by the prosecutor and the judge that that person made no contact with the police. He simply yelled at them to stop brutalizing unarmed Americans while holding a flag in his hand, but yet they consider that assault with a deadly weapon. It is shameful, the state of our country. Today we're going to speak with a patriot by the name of John Cameron. His story is like many other patriots out there. They loved their nation, they saw something wasn't right, and they felt the urge to speak up and say something, to do something. Nothing malicious. They did not want to destroy our country. 
quite the opposite. They wanted to save it. I know we all see what is happening in our nation, and I can tell you now, this is no accident. This is no coincidence. This is planned and on purpose. This current administration and lifetime politicians have devised means and ways to tear apart our nation from the inside. And many great politicians of our past have warned us about this quote-unquote cabal inside of our nation. Because we, the United States of America, we the people, are by far the strongest nation in the world. No country can attack us from the outside. Not only because of our geographic positioning, but because of the sheer force, might, resolve, determination of our people. We are the strength of America. We, the people, have the power that not only our own government fears, but so does every other nation in the world. We need to hone the idea that we, the people, are the ones in control. Stop being ignorant to what is going on around us. Stop falling for the circus. Stop being pacified by social media and the other games that they put in front of us. Much of our entertainment, much of our time is taken up the pacifier. How do you get a baby from crying? You give them a pacifier. Facebook is one prime example. Right before the 2008 market crash, people were so invested in Farmville, they were literally letting their children starve to death. They think we are sheep. They think we are stupid. They think we can be placated into some weak corner, useless, helpless, hopeless. They want us divided, because divided we are weak. United we are strong. Left, right, patriotism doesn't have a color. This isn't Republican versus Democrat. This isn't left versus right, liberal versus conservative. It's right versus wrong, good versus evil. And it's up to us to look past the petty and put petty in the past. To band together as one indomitable force to say, we are Americans. Hey family, just want to give a warm welcome to Mr. John Cameron, a fellow January 6th defendant and victim of the federal government. Uh, thanks for coming on, John. How have you been doing? Hey, thanks, Joe. It's uh, an honor and privilege to be always be asked to speak. Uh, you know, I know you have your story and all of us J6ers have our stories. And uh, as we share them and we get the truth out there as to what really happened, hopefully we can fight the narrative of, of you know, that January 6th committee and all the untruths and lies and nastiness that the government has thrown at us. So uh, thank you. Oh, absolutely. And it is just been one lie on top of another on top of another. But that's why we're here to stick up and speak up for truth. Um, let our audience know a little bit of background about you, John. Who is Mr. John Cameron? <laughs> uh, and that's a good one. I, I was like, you know, I, I've been doing some speaking on my story in person and uh, done a couple of uh, a couple um, talks and videos and uh, and I often I, I get asked you know how who I was and how did I get to January 6th and uh, in a nutshell I am a I'm a dad a loving husband a father I call myself a baseball dad because I have a son who's an elite baseball player and we're always traveling for sports and uh, 
Um, I love uh, the Constitution, God, and my country. Uh, I love cookies. You know, I'm kind of a dad bod, former athlete uh, who turned dad bod. And uh, I'm a real estate broker, small business owner, uh, but most of all, loving husband and father. And what, what state do you currently reside? Uh, I live in uh, Washington State, so Port Orchard, Washington. You know, it's a, a blue state and uh, fighting behind enemy lines. I've, uh, after January 6th, I have now become politically active. I'm the vice chair of my local county Republican Party, and we're pushing forward with patriots, uh, uh, bringing patriots of like mind into the Republican arena. So that's something I'm working on right now. And that's great to hear, you know, folks getting involved in their local politics, because as we all know, local involvement brings a national impact. So hat tip to you there, sir. And uh, good luck in your endeavors and helping to turn the deeply blue Washington a very beautiful red. And that is uh, that's going to be a tough uphill battle. But I think that that is going to be one that will end in victory. Yeah, I think in the end, all we can do is try our best, speak the truth, honor God and our country. Um, you know, the, the fight that we have as patriots, uh, you know, I believe the constitution is under attack. I believe Marxism and communism is rolling into, rolling into the country and, uh, and we might not have much longer to uh, be able to even thwart it. Uh, but I, I also say like, you know, not every one man can make a difference, but every man should try and uh, one of the lessons I've learned from January 6th, coming out the backside, and, uh, and I'm currently incarcerated for my role. We can talk more about that later. Um, but, uh, you know, we can change the nation by changing our backyard. And so I'm really focused on grassroots efforts on um, school board. I was at a, you know, I, I, I'm in a halfway house for 30 days, and uh, that was a commuted sentence from a 30-day prison sentence. Uh, I was the, I'm the first Washington state resident ever to be sentenced to prison for picketing. Uh, luckily for me, it was commuted because they don't really know what to do with a, a misdemeanor. Um, and I had an intermittent prison sentence handed to me, which meant that the judge gave me 30 days, but three days in prison and four days out. And uh, no one knew what to do with that. So they sent it back to the judge and it came back to send me to this halfway house. So. And so, uh, from what I understand, then you got you got work release, and uh, you can you know leave the facility, go out, do what you need to do, and then come back uh, to serve your time. Correct? Yeah, that's correct. Um, you know, I checked into the halfway house two days ago, Joe, and uh, you know, I'll be honest, I've you know, I've, uh, although I've had some smaller run-ins, you know, I'm, I'm like not like a criminal of any sort. It's not like I ever spent time in jail or anything like that. It, and I, uh, I pulled, drove myself to the halfway house, and I, I was doing. Um, I've been, a little, I've been active on Spaces on Twitter, and so there's a guy on there, General, and some people that I've been talking with and telling my story to, because it helps me heal to speak. And I pulled into that halfway house, and uh, and I cried, you know. Um, I, uh, I was emotionally. Uh, wracked with, uh, you know, a myriad of different emotions, including. You know, kind of being brought back and, and PTSD, stressing over all the FBI knocking on my door and, um, you know, and, and everything that happened. And I um, couldn't help but think that if that pulling into that halfway house, um, that it was either the end of a chapter or maybe the beginning of one. You know, luckily, 
I, I have a work schedule and uh, am able to leave and end my travels was can stop by my house and do some stuff and can see my family and uh, you know but it is incarceration and uh, I had to spend uh, you know I spent a couple nights with two guys I've never met in a room uh, I took my first institutional shower today you know as you know if you're a January 6th defendant one of us that we've always got on social media is there are a there are millions of people who wish us dead, who call us traitors and uh, when they hear we get a prison sentence like I did, you know, they say uh, things like, I hope you drop the soap. Um, it was uh, uh, quite another, you know, gamut of emotions running through my brain as to, you know, the whole scenario of you know, what I was dealing with. Uh, but as I say, I'll say I'm one of the lucky ones, right? I just saw my family. You know, we got J6ers that are locked up that are in way worse shape than me. So what is it that brought you to January 6th? How did that all play out for you? Yeah, that's a good question. When I tell my story, like like we have, you know, I say I'm the baseball dad, what have you. A lot of people think that to get to January 6th, you got to be like an ultra MAGA lifetime Republican. And it's quite the opposite. Prior to October of 2020, Joe, um, I was completely non-political. And when I say that, I couldn't even given you a description of what Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, uh, what any of it meant. And uh, we had just gone through, in you know, October of 2020, we'd just gone through, you know, a few months of COVID and it was pretty apparent that the country was changing. And uh, October 2020, I literally was going, well, geez, who should I vote for? I was thinking I might vote for Biden. I just, you know, so I went on social media and I was like, hey, who should I vote for? What do you think? What's up? And I had voted for Trump in 2016, but just because, uh, you know, no special interest and uh, uh, a businessman running the country I thought was good, a non-lifetime politician running the country I thought was good, and I voted for Trump, but I left it at that, paid no attention to some of the things that I know now, like the Russian collusion story or any of the impeachment here. I didn't pay any attention to that. Just lived my life. October 2020, just went through COVID and, uh, you know, stood for medical freedom and realized that COVID was not what everyone thought it might be. And uh, do, you, do you know in October 2020 what major news item uh, hit the uh, hit social media and the airwaves and everything else that uh, that we're still talking about today? Do you know what it is, Joe? That'd be the Biden laptop, right? That's a laptop. That's absolutely right. And anybody who's kind of dialed in with this, you know, realizes that remembers that October 2020 was Biden's laptop. So there I am, completely new, not not even paying attention to any narrative other than my own and somebody sent me hunter biden's laptop and that's what red pilled me right so i i had the laptop and i'm like well you know why is why is it not on cnn and then well watch tucker carlson so i went to tucker carlson and it was and then i watched uh, also a movie at that time somebody sent to me the plot against the president which is another one that uh and those two items set me down the rabbit hole of cognitive dissonance where I realized that the government wasn't what I thought it was and um, and that uh, I, I, you know it's one of those once you know as we know once we're awakened to this fact 
we can't ever go back to not being able to see it again, right? So I said, I, you know, I thought to myself, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna vote for the party that doesn't support, endorse, or you know, benefit from this obvious censorship. And there's the Miranda Divine article came out in the New York Post. It was completely censored on Twitter. Kaylee McEnany got completely censored. All this stuff, and I, it, and it made me realize that. Um, you know, if they could censor that sort of thing, there wasn't anything at all they wouldn't stop at. So I voted for Trump. But like many, um, I kind of was afraid to even say I was a Trump supporter. Right. I was, uh, you know, afraid to be attacked on social media or I have a father who's very liberal. I knew, you know, who hates Trump. And I knew I also I would lose business. I'm a you know I'm a small business owner, and if I was vocal about that sort of thing, um, that would hurt my business. So I, I decided to be part of the silent majority, and I would let my vote speak for itself. And I voted, and I watched everything with a, under a microscope, as many of us did, and saw the voting stop, and you know saw Fulton County Stadium's fake plumbing leak as I possibly suspected with the censorship that they wouldn't stop at, you know, that nothing would stop them from following through with that, with whatever plans they had, there was a, another indication. I followed that I followed the election integrity uh, news sources and, you know, watched uh, the Gettysburg hearing led by Doug Mastriano, where they interviewed all the poll workers with their signed affidavits. And, you know, so I followed all of that uh, new Something was wrong with the country. knew knew my country needed help too. Uh, didn't know what I should do, but felt the inner rumblings within myself that I needed to take action. I wasn't going to be able to sleep. I had that spiritual battle within me going on that I think we all are having, and I had to do something. From November, following the election integrity, there was no you know no real uh, focus of something to do until January six came about. And uh, my president called me and I felt drawn. I was called to that to January 6th to take action. Um, I felt guided by, uh, you know, you know, by a higher power to take me to that spot. Talked to my wife about going and had a, re- you know, had a real, almost brought my son, almost brought my teenage son. And uh, but my wife said, no way, because she's smarter than me. <laughs> and uh, and, I, you know, and I went to D.C. There was a time when. I might have gone to D.C. without telling my wife. And if that was the case, I would have lost her, too. Um, luckily, I have her support. And I went to D.C. that day. And as you're a, J- a J6er, and you know, we made that decision to go, and then we went, and our lives will never be the same. Will- that day itself, uh, once you actually got into D.C., uh, before heading towards the Capitol, um, what was the atmosphere like? Like, what, what did you experience uh, and that's a good that's a good question uh, because there, you know when we tell the story there is that um, you know the ellipse part of the story you know there's the walk to the capital part of the story uh, I had never been to a political rally of any sort I'd never seen any sort of political you know representative or Congress or any sort of uh, a politician speak and so that was the very first one I'd ever been at never obviously never seen a president and uh, that. You know, I got there bright and early. It was freezing cold. You know, we're down there at like seven o'clock in the morning and uh, waited around 
all, you know, got pretty close to the, the closest front big screen that we could get way in front of the Washington Monument. The thing that all, that will always strike me is, you know, I've never like prayed with a million people before. You know what I mean? Um, I've never uh, been involved with, uh, uh, you know, just that sort of amount of um, people. And I've been to concerts and, you know, large crowds, uh, general admission things. And this wasn't that. Everybody was like really quiet and um, reserved. And there were spontaneous chants that would rise up out of the crowds of four more years and stop the steal. And U.S., you know, these chants that would spontaneously, um, you know, emanate from the crowd. There were some people in the crowd. There was one guy in front of me I always remember. It's like this big six foot three kind of a farmer guy in overalls and a MAGA hat. And, uh, you know, I remember when we were praying, I, you know, just kind of checking the crowd out. This, you know, plaid shirt. I, I remember the guy with his head bowed and prayed. And I looked up and I, and, you know, I saw this, you know, this big farmer guy praying, you know, and there were a couple younger 20 something kids from New Mexico that we had befriended in the crowd. You know, when you're in a, in a crowd of all those people for hours, you know, the people around you end up talking to. And, uh, you know, I had some really cool conversations about God and spirituality with strangers, which I don't think I've really ever had before, except maybe going to a new church. One of the, and I kind of laugh and say at the very end, like we had waited all day and uh, I had to pee like a racehorse and the crowd was packed. You could barely even walk anywhere. So did you stay for the, for all of Trump's speech um, or did you leave early to head towards the Capitol? No, I stayed for the whole speech. So I, w I waited until uh, we didn't leave till he was completely done. And I filmed a lot of it. I mean, I know a lot of people had their phones going and um, part of my uh, story after I decided to no, no longer be part of the silent majority uh, shortly after the election, um, November 16th, and I remember the date exactly, um, I wrote my first um, article of my feelings towards what was going on in the country and posted it on Facebook. And that was uh, after a lot of uh, thought regarding my dad being uh, irate with me, losing business and being attacked on Facebook. But I had to share the truth. And I so I, I, that day I came out as a conservative. And I think that I would have been, I know I would have been more accepted by like coming out as a gay man than a conservative and so i began to write um articles and you know kind of blogs on facebook and i found walk away uh, uh the walk away uh, movement with uh brad Straka. so that kind of led me to the stop the steel rally and i and i gathered a pretty big following on facebook i was getting you know hundreds of likes and lots of comments and so i went down at, you know thinking also to be a citizen journalist um and so I filmed a lot of it. I even have Trump on my own, uh, on my own camera, going peacefully and patriotically. That part that was, um, that was uh, edited out of much of the Democrat narrative of what happened that day. And so after he was done, we left and went to the Capitol. And I'm not sure how you went, or, but as as we left the ellipse, there's really two main thoroughfares that led to the Capitol. There was what appeared to be the heaviest traveled one, Constitution Ave. And then we took a, a, a next one over, which was Madison Ave. 
and uh, it was the road less traveled. And I met those two guys from New Mexico, and uh, so I walked, uh, started walking with them. And uh, it wasn't uh, well. We we're probably halfway to the capital when you know I started getting some messages on the fo- on my phone because I turned it on. I had it off because most of the cell coverage was not working. There were so many people there. So I got a couple. I managed to get a couple texts or messages that came in about you know what's going on at the Capitol. Did something happen? And uh, I didn't know anything because I was walking in a peaceful crowd of, you know, uh, it was completely peaceful. You know, we walked slowly to the Capitol. One of those young younger kids had a bad leg or something, and he had to take a break. So we even took a break by a food truck, and food was hard to find. And uh, the New Mexico kids, uh, they didn't want to go much further, and they were tired, and the kid had the bum leg. Uh, I've just always been kind of the person, Joe, that uh, I talked about the general admission concerts. If I was going to a general admission concert, I'd be the guy, like, boogieing down front, you know, scooting in, but besides people to get my way to get my head in the speaker i'm from uh, washington state when the seahawks won the super bowl we went to the super bowl parade uh, biggest parade that the city had ever seen i brought my kids and you know we went right down front and so so far down the front my son got stepped on by a crowd control horse as part of our experience nothing major but i mean it was he got you know shimmied and stepped on and um, and still talks about it. So as I was approaching the Capitol, and a lot of this I have, you know, have on film too, and I tried to provide running commentary of of what I, how I felt at that very moment, because as you know, um, how we feel at that very moment is very fleeting, and we can't remember it down the road. Uh, so, so to be able to comment on things right as they're happening. Um, gives us a perspective that we might never ever have again. So I did a bunch of you know first person talking and narrative, which isn't my forte. I'm not a journalist or um, interviewer. Uh, and a lot of this is uh, I have a legal defense fund and film and documentary at DadDefendingDemocracy.com, and you can see uh, some of that there. We'll talk. You know, or repeat that again later, but I have compiled all of that. Um, but I remember, and I'm sure you kind of did the same as you approached the Capitol. Um, heard some flashbangs coming in, um, and when we got to, you know, from the concrete to where the grass starts, way far from the Capitol, you could just see everybody milling around and. And uh, the two guys from New Mexico left, and I just figured I was going to get as close as I could and see what was going on and film it and document it and walked in, got closer, filmed some more. Um, Even in my film at the time, you know, in Seattle during the summer of love, and of course I say that facetiously, Seattle burnt every night. Um, Antifa was, uh, you know, burning, looting and pillaging every single night. Uh, there was at least one point where the Seattle Town Hall's doors opened and Antifa took it over. They created the CHOP zone and, you know, created an independent sovereign country within the United States of America. I mean, I dealt with that all summer long, as did a lot of us. As I approached the Capitol building, even in my narrative, I said, it looks like uh, I'm reminded of when Antifa store or Antifa, the doors to the town hall, Seattle town hall was open and Antifa stormed it. 
So that's what, you know, so you can see in my film, that's what I was thinking. I got closer and at some point when I was, you know, towards making the decisions whether I was going to climb up the bike racks over a wall to get in, I was filming everything and I decided that I was going to, you know, get as close as I could to the front. And I don't know if you filmed, but as I have rewatched what I filmed over and over and over again and compiled it and edited it and watched it, um, more more things come to light. As I got closer and closer, I began to realize that what I was seeing was so huge and there was so much going on. It was sensory overload of sounds and and visuals and the you know smell of the grass and the tear gas blown in that I literally the brain just, I just couldn't take it in. I knew it was bigger than what I could even describe. When I got closer, climbed some bike racks and wa walked with the crowd, kind of just, you know, we all flowed together and got right up to, and from going down Madison Ave, I ended up at the upper, um, the upper terrace, upper west terrace, Senate wing entrance. Um, and I think it's important to, with J6ers to talk about where they ended up, right? Because if you walk down Constitution Ave, you ended up at, you know, that tunnel uh, and the other side of the Capitol where really all the violence and all the cops are doing all the nasty stuff. That up the Senate, the Upper West Terrace of the Senate Wing entrance, um, it was just people. And uh, by the time I got there, people were just walking in and out. Um, there was no... Uh, Though I was told afterwards that there was a, you know, a, a recording uh, in a uh, loop saying something along the lines of restricted area, do not enter. Uh, that's not the case. I saw as I approached, you know, I saw no damage. I saw no violence. I saw nothing like vandalism. There was no police. No, I saw nothing. It just We just walked right up. And by the time I got there, there, there was a group of police blocking one uh one door, um, no, I had, and I and I even told my judge, I go, hey, had, had there been any police saying do not go in, I wouldn't have gone in. But I sat outside and I even filmed myself talking about what I saw, and you know, it was like at that time, if your votes aren't counted and you're told move along, nothing to see here, and that happens enough eventually something will happen other than just people counting votes so i made the decision i made the decision to go in the capitol and as i filmed that that upper uh, upper terrace senate uh, upper west terrace senate wing entrance i entered the capitol 23 seconds behind ashley babbitt and so in my film you have i have closed circuit dc capitol closed circuit tv that shows the entrance i came in that was used against me in my uh, trial and uh, somebody sent it to me way after even my sentencing and said hey here's Ashley Babbitt well it turns out I came in 23 seconds after Ashley same spot part of my message and I think for all of us is that God works in mysterious ways and sometimes you might think when you leave your house you know 20 seconds after you see that you know see the accident well you know, I entered that Capitol 23 seconds behind Ashley. She took a left and I took a right. And uh, that's the difference between her telling her story and me telling mine or me dying. I lived and she died. And had I been in, had I taken a left, I would have been at that same spot.
I didn't. Um, had I gone down Constitution Ave as opposed to Madison Ave, I would have ended up in that tunnel where Roseanne Boylan died. You know, where all that's, you know, you've seen, we've all seen that video and all seen, you know, all of the clips from, um, from that. Luke Coffey was there holding up the crutch and, you know, and that was that, that story of January 6th. That Upper West Terrace Senate wing entrance was another story. And so I just spent, I didn't spend that much time in. I walked around, I filmed it all, chanted, stop the steal in the, in the rotunda. After a little bit, I was realizing that I kind of didn't have a purpose in there any longer. And, uh, and I just made my way out. Walked as I walked out, it, it was kind of you know, it's a big place, so I was kind of lost. I mean, I didn't even remember like kind of how to get out. And, but by the time I did get out, they had thrown tear gas in the Capitol, and I so I walked through tear gas. And I always thought it was a wives' tale that if you pulled your t shirt up or your shirt up over your nose, it would stop the tear gas from really uh, affecting you. Uh, it's true, was escorted out, you know, the police, you know, helped me help get me out went outside and was done with the inside and I stood out for a, a little while and just to try and assimilate and see what was up and sang the national anthem outside the uh, outside that upper west terrace senate wing door and if you remember there was a giant flag a giant american flag that was passed around and that thing came up uh, came up to where we were and we sang the national anthem then after a while, it was the, the police kind of were you know, making it known that it was time to get kicked out, and then I left. Um, after leaving the Capitol, um, mm -hmm. I'm assuming you went right back home after that. Or the next morning. Yeah, once you saw how everything was portrayed on TV, what, what were your thoughts? So when I got back to my hotel room that night, uh, unable to get any food, as many of us were, they sh everything was shut down. Um, luckily, I brought a supply of power bars and water in my backpack and I actually lived off those Costco protein bars for nearly two and a half days till I had a uh, Subway sandwich uh, the next day but in my hotel room I turned turned on CNN and turned on and put Facebook on so I could see already the talk of that this was worse than 9-11 and realized that the narrative was so terrible and that uh, the division between the country between you know, really the Democrat and the leftists and the conservatives and the right part of America um, that was already fractured was fracturing even more. So I don't, you know, I remember that that evening having uh, nasty leftists, you know, that were my friends, by the way, uh, accusing me of being part of beating Officer Sicknick to death with a fire extinguisher. Yeah, that's been debunked. He actually died of a stroke. This was, yeah, this was that night, right? So that night they were like, they died, you know, beaten to death with a fire extinguisher. And by then I realized that if CNN was reporting something, uh, it probably wasn't true. Um, it took a while for me to get from the laptop. When I remember the Hunter Biden's laptop in October, that prior to that, I thought CNN was honest journalism. From October of uh, 2020 to January of 2021, I realized that we had an information war going on and that our corporate media was one that was captured by uh, leftist narrative. 
And so I realized that that probably wasn't true. Uh, but then how do you prove it and how do you, you know, so I dealt with all, I, I had my father, I talked about my father being a raging liberal. I mean, he suffers from severe Trump derangement syndrome and him and I had to have talks even prior to January 6th to uh, try and reconcile our differences. And of course, reconciling your differences with somebody with Trump derangement syndrome, even if it's your father is impossible. And I had conversation and he was texting me that day, you know, telling me I was an insurrectionist. What are you doing? Get out of there. I can't believe it. I'm watching it on TV. And, and he still believes that same narrative. Uh, we have not completely mended. I've tried and tried and tried. But um, I realized after seeing what this, the corporate media narrative was in that hotel room that night, something was really amiss. Um, I had no idea that the and the complete and utter strength and power of the United States government was going to go come to bear on every single person that even came close to that building that day, especially after uh, America burned for an entire summer and nothing happened. So I got home. The FBI showed up on my doorstep February 23rd. They showed up, which is not a uh, little while, but not too, not too, uh, not too long after that. Uh, turns out, and I talked about my, I have two fathers. I have a dad who raised me and then I have a biological father. My biological father's stepson reported me to the FBI, called the tip line. Did they do a, uh, like a no-knock raid? Like a lot of the stories are, did you get met with a SWAT team or how did, how did your arrest? Yeah, work? so from, from when I got back January, when I got back on January 7th, I was activated to take action and started organizing anybody who would listen to me. Let's get to work and let's get busy and do stuff and see what we how we can change um, America. And I and I had met um, a group called Faith Education Christianity, which is led by Joe Altman and uh, some other people. And so began to you know seek some activism roots. When the FBI showed up the first time on the twenty third, they were just doing their friendly door knock to chat. That's what they say and do and. To anybody listening, and I know you know Joe, is uh, you never talk to the FBI. So, uh, but they showed up on the 23rd and uh, knocked on my door, and it was my wife who answered the door. So I was I was away, and they called me, and um, I almost called them back. I, I was actually at one of my uh, at a client's house who was working with me in, in terms of active you know, in, with the, that activism group. So they called me after I left his house. I almost called him back and was gonna kind of fess up, but I'm glad I didn't, because otherwise I would have been your know, early on, I would have been arrested right away. But uh, luckily I reached out to an, uh, an, one of the most prominent activists who I had, had kind of befriended um, and asked him for uh, or attorney referral, because I wanted to make sure I had a conservative attorney finding the right attorney um is as important as finding any return it's more important than just finding an attorney especially in something like that after the door knock after talking with my wife not calling him back i made some calls to uh people that the activists for the referral and got a hold of that attorney who you know told me to just not respond at all to them um, not in any way, shape, or form. 
And so, uh, so we just let it drop. And he said, you know, they really go after the low hanging fruit. As soon as you email them, you go to the top of the list. And if they do come back, then I had, you know, I had his name and number lawyer up, plead the fifth and don't say a word. That was his advice. Who was the attorney that, uh, <laughs> the person that you were speaking with? Yeah. So my, the attorney I used, his name's Angus Lee, Vancouver, Washington. And he is uh, one of the most, uh, He's a fighting civil rights attorney, former Navy SEAL, uh, has uh, done pro bono work fighting um, the Washington state you know, laws, brought, brought unconstitutional suits against different laws uh, to the Supreme Court in, in Washington and is you know, very well known in, um, in both politics and activists and stuff. So, um, so the, the FBI, after not doing anything at all, I should have known, I, I attempted to fly in march uh with a baseball uh tournament with my son so we went on a uh a las vegas spring baseball tournament and if you haven't tried to fly once you get put on the domestic terrorist list uh, they make it exceedingly difficult to pass any tsa check so i realized after just um trying to check in and not being able to check in online and you get four S's on your boarding pass and um, you get escorted from the gates to the security line, from the security line to your gate uh, where there's more TSA guys and they're swabbing your feet and swabbing everybody at the gate just to get to you. I realized then that, well, now that it was all because of January 6th, but uh, the FBI did come back. It was December 16th of 2021 they came back so january of 20 january 6 i was there at the end of the year december 16th is when they came back with they didn't do the swat bust the door down um they showed up there was seven cars tons of agents it was six o'clock in the morning knocked on the front porch and i got up and i saw all the guys out there by then i kind of knew that you know i knew what was up the interesting thing in December six, December 16th, when they showed up, my entire family, we were all sick with COVID. I mean, hot with fever. And so it turns out if the FBI show up, you tell them you have COVID and you have an attorney and lawyer up, uh, they'll just come in and get the stuff they're looking for and then leave. So that was a good thing. Got them to leave, but they confiscated my MAGA hat, um, the American flag I was wearing as a cape, a fishing vest, I wore a t-shirt that said, count all legal votes. They confiscated that. That was a free gift I got when I donated to Trump's campaign. So they confiscated all that. And then I self-surrendered myself on January 5th of this year, or 2022, I'm sorry, it's 2023 now. So I self-surrendered myself on January 5th, um, you know, met the FBI. It's this kind of weird, nondescript, almost bank building where they, uh, you know, cuffed me, took me to the marshal's office where the marshals put me through the whole paces with leg irons and a chain around my belt and cuffed me to the chain and took me to a holding cell. And I waited until about two o'clock to get arraigned. Did they confiscate any of your electronics when they uh, first came over? Yeah, they took my cell phone too. I forgot, forgot about that part. Which I still don't have back, that original cell phone. But yeah, they grabbed my cell phone. So I went through the process of, uh, you know, the uh, the court process is 
January Sixers go through all of the all the dynamic of being charged or being there and not being charged while people they know are being charged. So many of us are going through some mental anguish of of uh, you know the unknown and what's going to happen. That all of that fear um, and it's uh, you know I call it like the Chinese water torture water drip torture of the process where it's the government you know dripping on you and dripping on you and dripping on you and you know then I I got sentenced you know pled guilty so I pled guilty to uh everybody's charged with the the four same charges trespassing disorderly conduct um illegal picketing uh parading demonstrating and uh, obstruction of official proceeding those are like the basic four and uh, my attorney explained to me you know after spending lots of money you get to the point where because i was within geographical boundaries and i was picketing because i had a political statement on my t-shirt to count all legal votes uh, i also was caught in the capitol on both my camera and others chanting stop the steal is just by definition picketing get laid out the case that there's virtually no way i would ever be able to get past that charge so they we pled pretty early on for that with the verbal understanding of that i would receive probation my judge judge hogan had ne- hadn't um, issued a prison sentence for the illegal picketing parading charge um yet uh, at my sentencing hearing he did give me the 30 days in prison as i shared i was the first i'm the first washington state resident ever to be sentenced to prison for picketing part of why i was given such a harsh sentence was uh, during sentencing as my social media presence was brought up uh i didn't ex- i wasn't expressing enough remorse or regret online for what i had done I was also fundraising with my legal defense fund daddefendingdemocracy.com for anybody who might be listening and that's also where uh, some some of my film is uh, that will take it to my Rumble page so between not expressing enough remorse not being remorseful enough quote unquote and uh, a social media presence that was fundraising those were the real criteria i got a harsh harsher sentence than some i'm very proud that during sentencing is one of the few times that a january 6 defendant actually gets a chance to verbalize their feelings so you'll get your 10 minutes 15 minutes really how much you want you know how much time you need to uh share your sentencing um feelings and uh, the my proudest moment was during that sentencing hearing i asked and received permission to recite the pledge of allegiance to my judge because i wanted him to feel or have some understanding of what i was feeling that day and the best way that i could do so was to recite the pledge of allegiance in front of him and anybody who might care to listen um i do know that uh, some of the leftist hack journalists who cover those sentencing hearings you know expressed like amazed they were just incredibly amazed that uh, for and one of them Ryan Riley said for the first time ever that he's ever heard and it, including in any J6 sentencing but ever that uh, I was reciting the pledge of allegiance without being asked
Unfortunately, the judge sentenced me to that 30 days in prison. He also gave me the intermittent sentence of three days in, uh, which then the the federal prison is not set up to handle any sort of really short sentence, never mind one that's three days in and four days out. Uh, intake takes two days. So locally, the um, the Bureau of Prisons here was looking for guidance and it finally came out a couple of weeks ago to, um, uh, I was sentenced to the halfway. Well, I certainly commend you, sir, for your uh, reciting of the Pledge of Allegiance, that show of love of nation and patriotic reserve um, in a time when you have the full weight of the government on your shoulders takes courage. And it is patriots like yourself that are willing to stand up and speak out for our nation that can truly make a difference in the hearts and minds of those that are. And so I'm sure that uh, you doing that had an effect on everybody in that courtroom. Thank you. Um, I cleared it with my attorney, you know, as we um, go through the, the, the process of understanding and coming to terms with um, what, what we as Americans are truly going to stand for. I thought that was the best way that I was going to get in for all posterity too, right? I, I realized there might be somebody in the future who's analyzing these cases um, to try and get some semblance of somebody, whether it was the judge or not, uh, to understand truly what I was feeling because it wasn't, I wasn't feeling, you know, an insurrectionist feeling, you know, I was exercising my freedom as an American to assemble and petition and, um, and, you know, God bless America. I don't think it helped me in my case reciting the Pledge of Allegiance. I think it might have hurt me, um, but that's neither here nor there. I'll also say, you know, if I had to do it all over again, knowing what I know now, uh, I would have never gone to DC. Um, and I don't say that to say that I regret going because I don't. Um, I, if I had not gone right now, I would be looking at what's going on and I would have regretted not going. Um, but uh, if I had known the full weight and power in my, the United States government was going to come to bear on uh, this baseball dad, and I was going to have to put m myself and my family through what we've been going through, I would have spared all of us that misery and not gone. Uh, but for anybody who's listening, the, the, the true nature of why all the J6ers are being persecuted, Joe, as you know, is so that anybody else who's watching will never, ever do it again. And so we all have to find the courage, however we can muster, to do the right thing. I was so new to politics in the beginning. I was so naive to what was going on, but I felt the need to take action. There are so many Americans that are at home doing whatever they're doing, following whatever path that they're following. And they're having that inner rumbling, that spiritual battle that's happening within them, that's causing them to have the need to do something. And that January 6th need, I had no other way of expressing it than what I was being called to do. And in that case, that's January 6th is where I ended up. So, okay. So now I've come out the other side, right? I've gone through this case and I still have found that I still have to do something. I cannot bury it. I cannot shut the door on it. I can't not do anything. Otherwise I'm going to lose sleep and I will go crazy. The path that 
is laid before me after watching enough other things and following enough other politics and pundits and is is finding a local outlet to uh, that allows me to have the opportunity to engage and take action and affect change and that's grassroots effort and I've ended up at my local county Republican Party I didn't seek it out I had somebody who knew I was a January 6th defendant reach out to somebody and say, why don't you call John? He might be a precinct committee officer, which is the most basic elementary entry level political elected political position in the country. And somebody called me up and said, hey, somebody said you might want to be a precinct committee officer. And I had watched Steve Bannon and there's a precinct committee scenario of of grassroots activism. And I'd I thought about doing it, but I didn't seek it out. And I said, yes, I'll do that. So I became a precinct committee officer and went to some local Republican meetings. And I will share my story and speak my truth, given a microphone. You give me two minutes with a mic and I'll share it for two minutes. And if you do that enough, people take notice. So within a couple months, I was appointed to a vacant position on the board, which I took and at that time became transparent with my January 6th story, which caused even more people to flock to me. A superpower of the January 6ers is when we speak and share our story and talk about how passionate we love our country and that we were advocating for election integrity and standing for First Amendment rights, people will go, oh my gosh, how can I help you? The other thing that will happen is the rhinos will stand up and yell at you. So you're like a rhino detector. So I became a board member. And then this election term in January, I decided to run and I brought all of the Patriot friends I had met and that we had worked on some campaigns and we had phone called and we had door knocked and we had done a bunch of grassroots work. And I had some people who wanted to take action and fight. And I said, Hey, if we do this and we all take these board positions, we can all come in this together and back each other up and be a team. And so we brought a Patriot movement into Kitsap County Republican Party. I was elected vice chair and we had five other Patriots be elected to other board positions. And so the message now is had somebody prior to January 6th told me, hey, John, you could just go knock on some doors for a local candidate and phone call for them and that will solve that inner rumbling that you have so you can sleep at night and know that you're taking action had somebody told me that then that probably would have been enough so that's where i am now doing this grassroots um, important uh, but not federal work and the moral of that story is and that's a steve bannon quote is we can change our nation by changing our backyard and that's what I truly believe now. Amen to that. Local action has a national impact. Um, and we wish you the, the best in your endeavors uh, to helping restructure our country back to the greatness and glory in which God intended for it. So I have to ask, um, yeah. with you know Antifa's rioting and everything starting back up with election integrity being scoffed at and the leftist narrative being shoved down our throats on a daily basis by the uh, talking heads on TV, you know, the lamestream, mainstream sure. propaganda media. 
where do we as Americans go from here? What what can we do? That's a good question. Um, I think everybody's different, all right? So everybody ends up with a different path. So uh, what I'll urge anybody to do is find that thing which you are most passionate about. So, and some people it's election integrity. Some people it's second amendment rights. Some people it's freedom of speech or freedom of religion, right? And those are the hot buttons. Some people, it's the school board and advocating for the kids, right? That's the thing that's most, that's like the hill they're going to die on, right? So find that component because we can't fight all the battle. We can't, we can't be a fight all the fronts at once, right? So we kind of need to specialize and find those things that we're most hot at. And I tell, and I'll tell everybody to go to your local Republican party. And the local Republican Party has access to all the other different organizations that can help you and every as well as having components of each within itself. Um, and, and the Republican Party and all the organizations in the country right now are they're having their own battle of grassroots Republicans coming up and being fed up and um, and taking action and causing the leadership and the establishment Republicans, as we know, that's kind of the uniparty neocon established Republicans um, are going to end up getting um, pushed out by that grassroots scenario. It's happening slowly. Of course, we want everything to happen faster than, you know, than, than it is. But the leftists communist marxist democrats have had a very long time to get to this point and most conservatives would just you know be left alone and work their jobs and take care of their kids and that's no longer the case specialize find what you're find what you're hot button and i i say go to the republican party because i know a lot of people are kind of growing disenchanted um, we are bringing the Patriot voice to our local Republican Party, and I know it's happening all around us and all around the country. So, and we will be pushing those leadership establishment Republicans, of which there are some in my county, like my, the chair of my county party. We didn't replace her because she knows a lot and knows how to run everything, but she's establishment and is set in her ways, and we're pushing her. And uh, the more help that we get, um, the more successful we'll be. So everybody just needs to find their path. And it doesn't have to be Republican Party, right? It could be having a radio show, having a podcast. Everybody has a different path, right? And there's lots of different ways that we that we can help affect change. In your case, you know, this radio show, if this is what is going to get the truth out to somebody else, that's super important, right? Um, but everybody just needs to be doing something, not uh, being complacent. Find the hot button that is your most excited about to take action with and um, and try to hone in on those things that are most important to you. That's it. You're here in America. Find what you're passionate about and get involved in your local communities. Be loud and bold and speak the truth. And if you show love of nation, people will flock to help and restore this nation back to its original glory. I cannot thank you enough uh, for everything that you've been doing. Um, I'm very glad to hear that the story of persecution that you've had to endure over the last year and a half is finally starting to come to its end. I'm sure the 30 days will go by in the blink of an eye. Um, you'd mentioned it before uh, a couple times, but uh, please let our listeners know 
uh, where it is that we can find out um, more about your story as well as uh, help you in any way they can financially or through support of uh, encouragement. Yeah, thank you for uh, for that reminder. You know, I shared about uh, my legal defense fund and where the uh, where w- the my primary documentary of my story is that daddefendingdemocracy.com. Um, I also can be found on Twitter at John Rocks Holmes or just, you know, search John Cameron, you'll find me and you can interact with me there. Um, most of the J6ers have, have, you know, there's so many of them that have been completely bankrupt and uh, are are just decimated with legal fees and that sort of thing. So even if it's not me, there are lots of other resources where you can donate to. Um, one of the ones that I'm affiliated with is Patriot Mail Project. So you can go to patriotmailproject.com and find uh, J6ers that are imprisoned and write letters to them through that and also donate to patriotmailproject.com. Uh, DadDefendingDemocracy.com is my personal um, legal defense fund and warehouse of my information. And um, But uh, even, like I said, even if it's not me, find somebody else and find some other uh, J6er that you can donate to. Oh, great. Then uh, just so you know, a couple of weeks ago, we actually had the honor of uh, interviewing Miss Paula Calloway and Marie Goodwin of PatriotMailProject.com. And uh, I always encourage my audience to go and uh, check them out and get involved in writing our defendants because they write only, not only to the ones that are locked up and incarcerated, but all the defendants across the entire country um, that are on their listing uh, with Patriot Mail Project. And they have a new book that just recently came out called The American Gulag Chronicles. And it is absolutely heart-wrenching to see the letters firsthand that have come out of the prison that that, uh, describe the conditions and just unsanitary inhumane treatment in which they've had to endure and also their the grace and patriotic love of nation that they express on a daily basis and uh being able to unify together with one another singing the national anthem every night at 9 p.m my call to action was to start the sing for freedom campaign to ask america to sing along with those inmates every night at nine and to post videos of it online uh, to stand in solidarity with them it gives encouragement to their families to know that there's an entire nation standing behind them and that they're not in this fight alone as well as helping to revive patriotism in our nation because for too long people have had to whisper that they love our red white and blue and you can actually check that out at my website at singforfreedom.us um, sing for freedom is sing the number four freedom Uh, .us and if you put a video of the national anthem online we ask that you use that hashtag of sing the number four freedom so that way others can find it and share it around and show your love of nation and your American patriotic resolve to the rest of the world so thank you again very much John for your time is there anything else that you would like to share with the American people before we wrap this up Yeah, real quick, I'll just close with God bless America and God bless the J6ers. That's it. Amen, buddy. You and I are on the same page when it comes to that. Hopefully, truth will prevail and true faith and blind justice will 
rear its beautiful head and bring exoneration and the truth out about what truly happened on that day. So um, God bless you and your again in your endeavors and everything that you're doing. Um, if there's any way that we can help, please don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. And uh, you have a friend in me and a friend in hundreds and hundreds of thousands of patriots across this entire country. So this is Mr. Cameron's story, and we've heard several like it, but he should definitely consider himself one of the lucky ones. Many of the men and women that have been persecuted by the DOJ have been suffering in just truly heartbreaking conditions, denied basic human rights, beaten, maced, tortured, solitary confinement for months on end, just gross violations of the law and the Constitution in this nation on American citizens that for the most part have not been to trial, have not been convicted. And those that are sentenced and sent to different prisons across the country quickly find that the convicted are treated better than those that are awaiting trial. Innocent until proven guilty is dying in our nation. It is up to us the people to speak up, to stand up for their rights. And recently, because of the voice of Americans getting involved and speaking to Congress, we actually have had a small victory, which is huge to those that are incarcerated. Still much more needs to be done, but we do certainly appreciate Congressman Troy Nels taking the time to go visit them and urging the prisons to reinstate visitation. Many of these men and women that are locked up have not seen their loved ones in the two years that they've been there. They don't even allow video visitation. But January 13th, they were able to see their loved ones in the D.C. Gulag for the very first time. And it was a joyous moment full of tears and emotions and a great relief to them. I would like to announce that one of our affiliates, TheRealJ6.com, which is ran and created by the family of Shane Jenkins, who is suffering inside of the DC CTF. They have started what is going to be called Operation Love Wins. On January 9th in 2023, in-person visitation was finally granted for the January 6th detainees held inside of the DC Department of Corrections with the help of Representative Troy Nels and the general public. On February 2nd, 2023, The Real J6 launched Operation Love Wins. This is a campaign to raise funds and collect travel rewards to help these individuals see their loved ones at no cost to them. As of right now, in-person visitation is the only option as they are still waiting for the facility to establish video visits. They are holding video visits away from them because of COVID, or so they say. Their goal with Operation Love Wins is to get each detainee's loved ones there to see them in person at least one time. The founder of The Real J6, J Shane Jenkins' son, Tayton, said, It is hard to put into words the feeling that I have knowing that my siblings and I can finally see my dad in person again. To know that I will be able to give him a long overdue hug makes me emotional.
I am so proud to call him my dad. You have done more for him than I could have ever imagined. In the middle of this nightmare, thank you for making this dream a reality. Thank you everybody in advance to helping these families be reunited. In the end, love will win. Go to the website www.therealj6.com forward slash love wins for more info. And if you're interested in helping or any media personalities that want to cover this story, please reach out. We need to get this information out there to them and to the public and to make sure that these men and women will be able to be reunited with those that they love. There's no reason for them to not have visitation. There are approximately 25 individuals currently being housed at the D.C. Gulag. We estimate that it will cost roughly about $2,000 per family, give or take, just for one trip. A family of up to four will receive an economy round trip, flights, or other modes of transportation if requested, housing, food, and transportation to and from the airport and the facility. We appreciate you fighting for us, for calling and writing, for donating, and for making sure that in the end, love wins. That's a quote by Shane Jenkins. So think deep in your heart and imagine what it would be like to not be able to see your family for two years while you are being falsely accused of a crime, being punished without being convicted. There is a Give, Send, Go donation page, and any sort of travel rewards can also be emailed to info at therealj6.com. Shane Jenkins has been in the D.C. Gulag for way too long, has not been to trial, but they have done everything that they possibly can to help other J6ers, as well as other people within that prison that are not related to J6. They have shown the epitome of American resolve and dedication to our American values. He's fighting for freedom, not only for himself, but for others. Can you fight for them? We hope so. Hey fam, you want to help keep this podcast going and support this endeavor of being an obnoxious prick to those that want to enslave us? Then check out mammothnation.com and use the 30% discount code of FREEDOMJ6. Mammothnation.com is a shopping market online that is a frontline competitor to Amazon. They do not help any of the companies that are pushing China into the forefront. They stay away from leftist causes. They vet all of the producers and um, merchants on their site for veteran-owned companies and companies that are friendly to our patriot movement. So go to mammothnation.com and snub your nose at Amazon. Use the discount code of FREEDOMJ6 and get 30% off. You can also get a sweet deal with makehoneygreatagain.com. Promo code FREEDOM. That way they know who sent you get a one pound raw bottle that looks like Donald Trump, which is hilarious. And honey is just amazing. So promo code freedom, make honey great again.com. And if you're looking for merch, go to P2P printing. That's the letter P, the number two, the letter P printing.com and 
forward slash pie and on you can get all the sing for freedom gear that your heart desires and it is going to help make patriotism sexy again p2pprinting.com slash pie and on there's a lot of things that we can do as americans we can speak out we can learn the truth we can discern and decide for ourselves We can see that these men and women are not the terrorists, criminals that they're made out to be. They're fathers and mothers, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. We consider them family. John Cameron was wrongfully persecuted and prosecuted. Luckily, he was sentenced to only 30 days in a halfway house. But it's because the prison didn't know what to do. They're not used to the types of sentences and punishments that are being dolled out by the DOJ. Think about that for a minute. The Department of Justice are giving unprecedented punishments for men and women that really did not do what they were accused of. Violence was almost non-existent. The agitators and provocateurs in the crowd tried to incite mass chaos and extreme violence, but no patriot fell for that. Did emotions run high? Yeah. Did people yell? Yeah. But yelling is not assault. It's freedom of speech. They weren't making overt threats. They were standing up for our nation. But other organizations did cause extreme violence. They did cause death. They did cause massive billions of dollars, actually, in property damage across our nation. And yet, not a word is heard about them. Grandma is all over the mainstream news and all over the front page of the newspaper because she dared question the government. But the other organizations burnt down Washington, D.C. And there were politicians on the street corners asking you, the American taxpayer, to pay their bail. And for those that did actually go to uh, court and go to jail, they were let off with slaps on the wrist, $50 fines. Or many of them, their charges were dismissed because, as one federal judge put it, they were just letting off steam. Apparently, letting off steam with Molotov cocktails, beatings, riots, looting, smash and grabs. It's despicable. Being a patriot is becoming illegal. Being an anarchist is now the new normal. Is that the America that we want our children being raised in? This is not just over some four-year election. This is to save our nation from forces within that are trying to dismantle her. Violence is never the answer. BLM, Antifa, 141, all of these militant groups have shown that. Love, unity, peace, no violence. That 
is how we save our country. We need to band together, the left and the right. The left many times feels as though we are the enemy. But over the last few months of doing these podcasts, I have come to realize that we share many of the same points, many of the same grievances that we want to see changed. So, for my friends on the other side of the aisle, let's forget about the petty stuff, focus on the big picture, and restore our nation, because we're Americans, and it's going to stay that way. Oh!